Welcome to this episode of Rock Talk with Miss Lafon. Joining me on the phone, as always, it is co-host Alan Niven. Bonjour, Sir Alan. Comment allez-vous? One more day and uh, one more morning. And when you get to be 28 years old like I am, um, that's almost an achievement. So, you know, I have my little gratitudes and I look at the crazy world around us and I'm happy that it's a beautiful day and the air is clean and clear and the sky is COVID blue. It's lovely. <laughs> it is it is COVID blue. A lot of a lot of shows actually starting up in the States, but uh, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about We Are the Bastards or We're the Bastards, the new album by Phil Campbell and the Bastards Sons, which essentially is his entire family. Uh, other than the uh, singer, everybody in the band is related to Phil, which is actually kind of cool, come to think of it. You know, we talk about Eddie Van Halen and, and Alex, but uh, not Alex, uh, Wolfgang. Uh, but uh, Phil has his actual sons in the band. Is, is, that, is that a cool thing? I mean, to me it is. Oh, it's a tradition. It's an American tradition. I mean, think of the Carter family um, and that whole bluegrass country vibe. I mean, that was families playing on the porch. And uh, there was a project that I was working on, oh, in another lifetime, called Shenlong. And um, part of the thinking and the design behind it was I wanted to create something that if my two eldest kids uh, that I had at the time were interested that it would and got into music and, and got into it, that it would be something that they could utilize and take forward in the future. And uh, just quickly, I mean, I was once told the worst thing that you could ever do was write a concept album, that it was a bad idea to write concept albums. Um, and of course, you know, being a bit of, a bit of a contrarian, my thought was, oh, so, you know, in America, we don't like albums that have a theme and an intelligence to them. Well, you know, excuse me. So anyway, I set out to write three concept albums. And they were all about the same subject, alienation. And the first album was about alienation from the self. The second album was about alienation from other people. And obviously, the third album was about alienation from Hockey. Sense of the Divine. Oh. Uh, no, a sense of the divine, <laughs> a sense of uh, spirituality. And the idea was, was it would be around because if you've ever suffered from depression, you go round and round in a hamster wheel. So the very first chord of the first record was going to be exactly the same chord that finalized the third album. So, so you'd get into that hamster wheel going round and round and round. But, you know, part of my thinking with that was if I do this well enough, um, it could be something that they could use in the future. Um, so, no, I, I, think it, I think playing with family is an interesting and cool idea. Um, and it also helps you with uh, uh, copyright, too. Um, because if you put your kids on the songs that you compose, um, 
that gives you their lifetime plus 50 years of being able to retain the copyright in that which you create. Yeah, which is a, a smart business plan. But here, thinking about that, we got this letter uh, the other day, and I'm not going to mention the person's name because of the, of the content here, but it says, Hi, my name is, and I just wanted to let you know how much your show has meant to me since I discovered it in June. I have a 16-year-old daughter who has been having some very challenging uh, mental issues, and our lives have been turned upside down since last spring. I'm not telling you this because I want you to feel sorry for me or anything like that, but I, just to let you know that your show has been a bright spot for me, and I believe it or not, and, and sorry, and believe it or not, has helped me cope with these hard times. I just listened to your Van Halen tribute show, and it was beautifully done. You and Alan are like the big brothers I never had. A piece to you, my friend, signed this person. I shared that with you before, but uh, since you brought up the uh, the idea of uh, depression and, and mental health, I just wanted to, to share that with you because, you know, uh, after COVID hit, I got into a space where I just like getting up and walking the dog and getting up and walking the dog. And then I, and then I go, oh, you know, don't you want to go to shows? And I'm like, yeah, I love shows, but I really just like getting up and walking the dog. So I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not necessarily depressed or anything, but I just, I kind of like the quiet. I like this new normal. And I've thought maybe it's time to roll down the show and not do it as much. And then you get a letter like this and you go, okay, yeah, that, that'll motivate me to keep going. What do you think of that, that letter? And I'm purposefully leaving the, the guy's name off of it because I don't want to embarrass him or cause him any, what you know, whatever. Um, but what do you think of think of, it, of that note we got? I, I think it's very touching. And in point of fact, when you were reading that, I got a little wave of goosebumps. Um, because, uh, you know, it, it's, it's good to know that when you're putting your energy into something, that it does actually reverberate with others and connect to others. You know, because basically, Mitch, that's, that's what we're all about. I mean... The uh, the whole concept of of music in itself is that it you know at its best it suspends alienation and at its best good rock and roll brings people together by their own consent. We live in a coercive world full of rules and peer pressure and and stricture and. But, you know, if you're going to sit across the room and play a song for me and I recognize the emotion and the spirit within that song, then a willing bridge of humanity forms between us and it's by our consent and yep. it's not forced. And that is a reaffirmation of our humanity. And, you know, that's that's what got me to rock and roll in the first place. Oh, absolutely. Was, oh, my, oh, my God, these people on record are saying things that I can understand while the people in my living environment, you know, my school, my parental social air, social um, group, are completely and utterly incomprehensible to me. So, yeah, no, that's that's what we do it for is connection. Yeah, yeah, no, and, and that that was uh, that was an unexpected uh, email, or, or in fact, they reached out through Twitter, and I and it, it floored me because I was just like, wow, that's that's you know, deep for the lack of a better word. And, and then you, you, you know you, what, go ahead. Do you know, Ian Forster and his novel Howard's End had a two word preface 
And the two-word preface has stayed with me ever since I read that book, had to read that book in school. But the two-word preface was only connect. Absolutely. So you, you, you get that email and then you get uh, Phil Campbell, who's doing it with his sons. You know, he, he doesn't really have to go out there and create new music. He could easily do like some of the some of the 80s bands out of LA and and get six new singers and and 18 new drummers and call it Motorhead and do but no he he's going out there new brand new name uh and just working it with his sons. I mean it's 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 really what it's all about. Anyway, the uh, the album is called We're the Bastards. It comes out uh, later in November. We also spend some time talking about the great 40th deluxe anniversary box set of Motorhead's Ace of Spades. And of course, uh, Mickey that we had on a couple of weeks ago and Phil, they of course didn't play on the albums, but they played the songs over and over and over again after they joined. And uh, it's interesting to hear their perspective on how important that album was in the larger heavy metal community. And, you know, they, they were on the outside looking in when it came out and then they were on the inside looking out when they joined, and so I just I think their perspectives are are unique and interesting. Uh, shall we get over to Phil, dear sir? Yeah, I think that's a brilliant idea. Let's see what he's got to say about it. Here is the one, uh, the only Phil Campbell. We are speaking with uh, Phil Campbell of uh, Phil Campbell and the Bastards. Sons. Uh, the new album is called We're the Bastards, and as we say here in Montreal, Phil, uh, bonjour. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. Yeah, uh, looking forward to the album coming out. And uh, we've got the Ace of Spades anniversary coming out as well. So it's yes. a pretty exciting time for music fans out there. It is. And uh, I'll, I'll throw this in, and maybe we can talk about it later. But on uh, October 22nd, 2000, you were at the uh, Brixton Academy celebrating the 25th anniversary of uh, Motorhead. And that came out as the Live at Brixton Academy... Uh, DVD and CD later, so we can we can uh, look back twenty years on this date too as well. So a lot a lot of stuff to cover, but uh, real quick, uh, talk to me about where the bastards and and I, I want to ask you in terms of reestablishing yourself as a brand. You, you know, obviously uh, there are bands when when somebody passes away, they continue their brand. When you lose somebody like Lemmy, you absolutely can't continue and go on and say you know your Motorhead without him, but. Has it been difficult to to reestablish? I mean, has it been harder than you were anticipating? Has it been a reasonably simple transition? And, and how is it sort of saying, "Hey, I've got I'm Phil Campbell. I'm doing something new now." Well, I did. I didn't have no expectations, really. You know, for the first few months, like when we decided, like, well, obviously we we didn't really uh, we didn't really speak about splitting the band up after when Lem passed away, you know, it was just an unspoken about thing, like, you know, it was obvious. But um, for a few months, yeah, I was, you know, just still in a state of shock and numbness, you know, and, you know, it was just being just different. And, um, yeah, we, we we had a band together for two years while Motred were going anyway. Uh, we, we were just, like, playing cover versions then and things, you know, just having some fun, and uh, you know, I had more time on my hands then when uh, Motorhead didn't continue, so we, we changed the name and started writing our own material. But uh, you know, I was hoping we could we could get um, you know decent audiences, you know, 
and good reactions, and we we built it up, and it's gone, you know, really good. We've played, you know, su- supporting some really big bands, played stadiums and things, and sell out club tours and theatres. So um, it's gone really good, you know. But I didn't have any expectations. I, I just hope it will go well, you know. And it's it's nice for for my boys as well, and you know, because they they all deserve, you know. They're all fantastic musicians, so you know they deserve a good uh, a good run of things. Like so, uh, yeah. no complaints really. You know, no. Well, so so then let me ask you this: in, in terms of you know, you're Phil Campbell of Motorhead. When when you had, I mean, have you been getting offers from other bands to come and be sort of the the new replacement guitarist and the new this and and yet if you are getting those, you still continued with your son. So. Did anybody come knocking and say, "Hey, come and join us. You'd be a great replacement player"? No, no, I didn't. I didn't put myself out there. Okay, and, you know, I've always, I've always, I've always get people every week asking me to play on tracks. I've been doing that for years and solos and different things, but uh, I didn't put myself out there. No, and no one came knocking, which uh, you know, it was, it was fine by me. Like you know, to turn. I'm glad I've, I've sort of done it this race. It's been, you know, a bit of hard work, but hard work is, you know, is fun. And, um, you know, we've got a lot of respect with this band now. So, you know, it's all worth it in the end of the day, like, you know. Oh, it really is. And I have to say, uh, the Age of Absurdity and, and uh, the EP before that uh, were just phenomenal. I mean, you know, I, I actually went out and purchased them. I didn't just, you know, sit around and wait for a free record company, whatever. And it's just fun rock and roll. I mean, I don't even want to describe it. I don't want to say it's heavy metal or rock. It's just, it's just good music. Uh, in terms of playing with your sons, you know, uh, I just look at, you know, Eddie Van Halen passed away recently. And the yeah, one yeah. thing that's been really touching to me is the pictures that Wolfgang has been putting, you know, up on his Instagram and stuff of him and his dad, him and his dad on stage, and that connection of you being on stage with your sons, I mean, you can't really put a price on that, right? I mean, that's that's a whole different level of of yeah, yeah, it is. It's uh, you can't put a price on it, really. You know, it's uh, it's to, it's a privilege and honor, you know, and. Uh, you know, it's a dream. It's a dream, really. You know, and um, it's, it's. I don't know any anyone is, is kind of doing this kind of thing. You know, now we're, now with three boys in a kick-ass rock and roll band. You know, it's quite unique. But um, yeah, it's unless you've got to experience it really to. You know, but you know, lots of times on the stage, I I forget forget it's actually my boys there playing with me the band's steaming along so great you know we're kicking ass and i just i'm just in my mind frame of for a few seconds like oh yeah this band the band's sounding great on this track or this is this tonight and then it'll hit me back you know, oh god it's my boys like you know it goes in and out like you know it's like um you know, different perceptions and that all the time. Well, let me ask you this. It, well, sorry to cut you off, but let me ask you then about the creative process because we get to where the bastards, we get to writing this song. You know, the you had the EP and you're just sort of testing the waters and figuring out who does what. And then uh, Absurdity is 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 a wonderful album. 
But when you start getting into the creative process, who's writing most of the songs? Who's coming up with this stuff? Is it a team or is it like, hey, I was the dude in Motorhead with 45 years experience. You listen to me. I mean, is it a democracy? No. no. Okay. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's five of us writing the songs, you know, and uh, that's the way I want it. You know, it's um, it's five of us, you know, it's, it's five heads. Is a, For me, it's, it's a... You know, it's, it's it's a lot easier than like three with Motorhead. You know, you know, because you know, I I can take a little bit more of a back seat, I guess. You know, but with Motorhead, it, we got it in the end. It was it was great. You know, sometimes I personally struggle for a few days. You know, coming up trying to come up again, nothing in the rehearsal room for one day. You know, and, and Lem and Mick, were, they were great and all that. They understood that, you know. And we 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 got there in the end with Motorhead. It was it was, you know, we got a great output. But with this band, it's yeah, it's full of ideas. Todd Todd comes in with a bunch of songs, basically more or less finished songs on this this album. And you know, Dane's coming in with a lot of different drum rhythms, and we. We trained all sorts of stuff. I, I came up with with a handful of songs, half done or three quarters done. Or you know, Tyler came up with some cool bass riffs, you know, which we turned into songs. And we listened to some sound checks we taped when shows were uh, actually happening last year. We, we had, so that was in January. We were listening back. So yeah, and then we leave the vocals and the melodies to Neil and. Unless it's something really we don't like, and then we'll, we'll change it. Like, but it, yeah, it's Campbell, 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 and Star on the on the writing credits. That's so. right. He's the star in the whole. No, uh, let me ask you this: in terms of the musical approach, how important is it that when you're writing these songs and creating these albums, that these songs could eventually make it to the stage and be performed live, or are you, or is it? Or are some of these songs written for like, no, these are just meant to listen in your car. These are not meant for the stage. I mean, how important is it that these songs can be performed live eventually? Um, well, we know not all of them. We, we know we don't have to perform them all live. We definitely want to, you know, a lot to be available, a lot to be stage worthy. You know, some songs end up they, they're super cool, but if they'd work with our crowd, in the, in the allotted time that we we have to play, you know, and we 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 don't know, like you know, but I think I, to me it's always been my philosophy is if the song comes first, you you know, I I don't see the point in playing a full set of half-assed songs, really, you know, songs, you know, the it's got to be good songs, and then you know, and then and then try. And work to work the set. See why you've got it. And the more songs you've got as well, the more you can change them around in the middle of tours. Like you know, this new album we've got thirteen brand new songs. Like nowhere to play them at the moment, but um, that's another matter, you know. But thirteen what? brand new songs. So put that together with the other songs, the other material we've written for the EP and the first record, and. Um, There'd be quite a lot of choice there, so it's interesting. 
you know, it'd, it'd be great if everything we wrote would would work well live. But right. you know, some work better than others. You you can always try them out. You can always try a song live if you're not sure. And after a few shows, you probably it'll become obvious if it's working in the set or not. Like you know, but I think the music should come first. You know, before any secondary uh, considerations. Thought, you know? Yeah, let me ask yeah, you that yeah. because. I mentioned at the front there, live at the Brixton Academy, and of course you just mentioned the ability to go out and play these songs live, and you can't. Um, how important is it for you to get out there and play these songs? And also, how important is it in terms of the promotion? Because, you know, you look at a band like Motorhead, you look at a band like Phil Campbell and, and some other bands, they sort of they cut their teeth on playing live. It's not nothing to do with the, the official UK charts or the Billboard 100. You, no, nobody cares about being top 40 when you're in, in Motorhead or in Phil Campbell. So you need to be in a club with sweaty fans buying the T-shirts. So so how does it sort of change the entire approach to the promotion of this album, knowing that for now, the brakes are on and you can't do what you would normally do? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's, it's uh, unprecedented uh, so far, all this. I mean, with Motorhead, we knew we were never going to sell millions of albums we never a, like a platinum selling band you know so we went out and did the gigs which which we used to love anyway but you know we can't we can't do gigs now so we we, we put out like three um, three videos so far and it, we got another video coming out when the when the album's released you know and been doing press making people uh, you know aware the album's coming out you know, and uh, things have been getting played on the radio and stuff, but it, there's only so much you can do, really, you know, but I'm I'm an optimist, and um, I'd like to think that uh, before too long, things can get back more or less to normal if we get a good vaccine for everyone and that, you know. And then there's going to be a lot of smiling faces in uh, the rock and roll world. Well, all artists and fans of the arts, you know, they'd be able to... Uh, we'll, we'll get out there and we'll start enjoying you again. Uh, do, do you think that the current situation is going to hinder your ability to, to get this record to fans? Do you think that people are, are not going to be able... I mean, does it does it hurt your promotion cycle at all, not being able to be on, on stage? Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I guess it's, it's going to make some difference, but... You know, we're really, we're really trying to make the awareness of it in the only way we can do now with, you know, with the media and stuff, you know. And um, I guess we'll, I guess our sales will tell at the end, you know. Yeah. But, you know, we made a, we made a bloody great album here. So I'm over the moon with it. I I'm, can't wait for it to come out. Yeah, uh, listen, I've you know, had a chance to preview it. It, it is absolutely fantastic. And, and I'm just glad that you're still going and still doing this. So we, let's spread the word. That's that's bar none. Um, if I may, just real quick about the Ace of Spades box set. Now, of course, it's an album that you didn't play on, but uh, overall, it, it is one of these albums that is not only fundamental in the history of Motorhead. It is fundamental in the history of of heavy metal and hard rock. 
were when you were out of the band and this thing comes out, or well, you weren't in the band yet, I should say, you weren't out of the band, when you weren't there yet and you see this come at you and, and you, you take it from that outsider's perspective, what was it like when you first heard Ace of Spades and you went, oh, fuck, yeah, they got something here, these mother, you know? What was that yeah, like? Well, well, with Bomber and Overkill, they kind of scratched the surface mm-hmm. a bit. But, you know, when Ace of Spades came along... It was just every everything gelled. I mean, it's got a you know an album full of great tight tight songs. You know, great production. You know, Taylor's just whacking away on on the kit, which you know, like no one else can do. Like Lem's at full growl and at bass, Eddie's thrashing away. The Three Amigos album cover. You know, and then people had to. You know, people had to take notice. You know, sit up and take notice. And and when I when me and Wurzel joined the band, um, the first tour we did after a month or so, we went for a to Finland for a we did a week's worth of shows there. And um, I was thinking back to the set, we did a load of stuff. And it was a load of it that was off. We did Jailbait, uh, the Hammer, Love Me Like a Reptile. You know. Chase is better than the catch, and up till to the end with Motorhead, we mean with Chase was still in the set. Ace of Spades, we played every single night. You know, we used to love it, but um, yeah, it, it was a you know it was a milestone album. There, you know, it's a, no, I don't think anyone had heard anything quite like it. It was it was, it was a, like you know. The boys were pioneers then, you know, and um, the songs stand up for themselves, you know. It still sounds fresh to this day. You know, was it 40 years now? Yeah. It's, so, uh, uh, yeah, 40 years, and that's what the, the deluxe box set. So l- let me ask you two questions about, about the box and also about the music. Uh, when the box set comes out, which is uh, October 30th, I believe, how involved are you? Because you were, you know, you weren't in the band. So do they come to you and say, "Listen to these demos"? Do you think we should put them out, or does the record company just send you a notice and say, "Hey, this is coming out"? Like, are you are you part of the process to to put these box sets together and these deluxe editions together? Yeah, we can be as much or as as much you know as as we want. I mean, uh, me and Mickey, I think um, one of one of the issues is uh, we are the road crew. With me, Mickey, and Lem, live. I'm not sure which year it was, or it might be from a German show. But you know, we we okayed that, and I've made sure we said yes to that. And um, yeah, we got a general idea what's what's going what's going on, like you know. But um, you know, it's, it's a lot of work doing all that as well. So we we leave it up a lot of it up to our management. Right. You know, they they they're making good decisions. Make sure we make sure the fans get value for money as always. You know, and I, I hopefully within with it, you know, this this can uh, you know show a whole new generation of of rock fans. You know what it's about. You know, uh, I'm I'm staring I'm staring at it right now. It it looks absolutely incredible. This thing. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Live concerts from 81, live concerts from other times. 
Uh, in terms of the actual music, though, you know, it comes out. It, it you you said it. It was it was uh, changing. They they scratched the surface on the previous albums, and this one was like, wow. Uh, you're you're then invited into the band, and you have to learn these songs. Do you say to yourself, well, these are perfect, so let me just play them note for note, or as a guitarist, you think there and go, you know, if I just did this little doodle, or I added this little ping, or I added this little whatever. Uh, flourish. I'll, I'll I'll make it my own or make it better. How did you approach covering this material? Um, well, it, it kind of evolves over a period of years. But initially, um, you know, you try and get it. You try and get it close. You don't want to lose the essence of the song. You know, it can't stray away from what the song, the recorded song is. You know, but Eddie's style was you know, and myself and Wurzel's styles were all a little bit different, you know, so you know, we we, we probably um, adapted as well as we could to get them sounding as close as we could, but then as you go along, when you've been playing them on stage every night, you might flick a little lick in here, and then you know, 20 years down the line, it, it could be quite a quite a difference from when you started off playing it live but um you you don't go telling the, the rest of the band that because <laughs> no, it's so loud anyway no that's right um yeah this things evolve sometimes and you know and other times you you know you know you just keep it straight you know but it's a that out ace of space albums a set of great songs you know well produced and uh, oh yeah, and it changed it changed the way uh, people uh, made metal afterwards. Um, you, you know, we've done plenty of interviews in the past where I've asked you about working with your sons, and I've asked you about the new album, and I've asked you a whole bunch of Motorhead questions. The one thing I've never asked you, and and is your influences. And I know that you've said in the past that you've been influenced by Michael Schenker, and I'm sitting here staring at a whole bunch of Michael Schenker CDs, and my phone has. 500 Michael Sanker songs. I'm, I'm down the rabbit hole. Um, but yet I don't think he's appre- as appreciated as some others. What was it about Shanker and, and the early Scorpions and, and early UFO that spoke to you? What was it about his style that you went, yeah, this, this guy's kind of cool? Well, his, his tone, his tone made, made you stand up. His tone made you listen for a start. You know, and he just do this, his little phrases which I don't know if they were I, they were just unique to me at the time it's like little little phrases and you know there's flourishes he did I just I just enjoyed listening to it I thought it was great oh, it's, it's spectacular and I'll, I'll say this and see if you agree but what I find with Michael's playing uh, is that it's very singable. You know what I mean? Like you, you can hear what he does on a breakdown in rock bottom, and you can take away the drums and take away the vocals and whatever. And you could you could sing that guitar part in your head. You can go, dun, dun, you know. Do you, do you agree that he has this this thing that it's, it's his parts are almost singable? Yeah, well, like I can, I can, I could all the solos. I could probably recite all the solos in my head, sing the notes of the solos. You know, for, you know, twenty years later, from probably nearly all of them. You know, they're very memorable, very melodic. You know, and the and the melodies he 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 did. You know, he got it right 
most of the time first time because you know we still remembering them so we obviously did a lot right I, I agree you know but that tone that tone was phenomenal yeah, and and he's carried that tone whether it's MSG with you know Michael Schenker or Macaulay Schenker or uh, yeah. Schenker Fest or UF, he he's managed to maintain that and 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 expand on it. It's it's anyway. Sorry, I'm just I'm just down to a Schenker rabbit hole. Um, yesterday yeah, I was talking with, with, with the best guitarists, so it's all it's all in the fingers. Yeah, you know that's where they that's where they get it all from. You know. It's a Slash and Brian May and Satriani and Vi and Schenker and Jimmy Page and all that. It's all in the fingers, you know. But there's so many good guys out there. Well, all right, you know, a, I'm going to ask you the a ton, of, un- a ton of pleasure. Like I'm going to ask you the unfair question. Uh, you just oh, mentioned God. a whole. Yeah, I'm going to ask you the unfair question. You just mentioned a whole bunch of great players, the Vi's and the Satrianis and Slash. Where do you sort of see yourself in that pantheon? Do you do you put yourself in the top five, the top ten, the top twenty? No, I don't. No, what? I really? Don't, no, I never thought of it like that. You know, I. I have. I just, I, I just, um, you know, I, I know my strengths and weaknesses, and I just try and play to my strengths, like you know, and I, I can't, I can't, not in competition. I can't compete with the, with those guys, like. Some of the stuff they do is, you know, it's just it's beyond. Oh. You know. Yeah, but I, I would, I would argue that what you've created with Motorhead has is certainly memorable and has certainly influenced uh, a whole well, bunch of young. Well, that's great to say. People say that, like, yeah, it's great. You know, I, I wouldn't say I'm a slouch, you know, but I, I do okay on the guitar. You know. That that's going to be my headline. I do. Phil Campbell says I do okay on the guitar. No, I, joke, <laughs> uh, jokes aside, though. Um, oh, I lost my question. Let me go. Let me go to the to this uh, live the twenty five and live at the uh, Brixton Academy. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that evening because we're actually. Rec- oh, I remember. Hold on. Let me go back to my original question. Uh, yesterday, I was speaking. Alan Niven and I were interviewing Mickey D. And we asked Mickey, do you see yourself at some point in the next five or ten years doing a Motorhead tribute show, you know, a tribute to Lemmy where you get in a bunch of players and or a bunch of vocalists and whatever and, and you just resurrect the the music for a night and say, okay, folks, listen, we're not reuniting. This is not Motorhead Part 2. We're not going to be doing that. But we're going to come out tonight and we're going to play whatever overnight sensation. We're going to play Ace of Spades. And come in and enjoy. Would you consider that? Because Mickey said he would consider that. Yeah, we've we've been we've been thinking about it for, you know, for a few years. So it's just logistics, and you know, it's great. It's it's a, it's a great thought. But um, yeah, I I I'd be into into that. But you, you'd have to make sure that everyone like. New to songs because I've had so many people come up to me and said, "Oh, you know, oh, I can sing Ace of Spades like respected people," and they they come and they they sing. I've heard them sing it, and they they got no idea, you know, they're repeating the first verse three times and things like that. So uh, it's getting all it's getting the right people and getting some rehearsal time and getting everyone's schedules right, but. I wouldn't say no to that. No. Yeah, and it'd and be, I'll, it'd be it'd be, an, it'd be a great concert if it happened. Like, yeah. 
And, and I'll say from the fan perspective, I'd, I'd support it wholly. And quite frankly, uh, and we spoke quickly about Eddie Van Halen, if Sammy and Dave and Wolfgang, and they go out and they say, you know, we're, we're going to the Staples Center in Los Angeles and we're doing an evening of uh, tribute to Van Halen music and they played the songs in honor of Eddie... I'd be all for it. You know, I, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, as fans, we we just we don't want these songs to be out of our lives. We want to see them on a stage. And yeah, um, yeah. I I'd, I'd be I I'd, you know, I'd be for that for Motorhead, I'd be for for, for Van Halen. Uh and and I'm just going to ask you about the the Live at the Brixton Academy, the 25 Alive Bone Shaker, mostly because it was recorded on October 22nd, 2000. We are October 22nd, 2020, so it's been 20 years to the day that you did this concert. Um, what was it about a Motorhead show that made you stand to attention? And I'll say this. Yesterday when Alan and I were, Alan Niven and I were talking to Mickey, Alan went on about how he saw a Motorhead show and it was just the greatest thing. And I myself have seen the band at Heavy Montreal, at this in Montreal. I saw, you know, and there was just an an indescribable energy where you just whether you you know all the songs whether you like all the songs you see the band start and you just go yeah that's right that's what it's all about um what was it about motorhead shows that was just it was just right i don't know I, i've thought that i've thought about that myself for, for years um i've never had the pleasure of being able to stand in and be part of the crowd while i'll be playing obviously um I don't know, just so much energy there. And we, we were all getting up, the players on stage, like we were all just getting off on each other, like, you know, and the fans, feeding off the fans. And um, I suppose the, the volume puts you into another kind of stratosphere as well. So um, I guess, yes, must be a hell of a, something, there's something weird going on there, I know. The, it's the, obviously weird. the energy, because even, even when the players changed... Uh, that energy was still, I mean, you know, I, and there, anyway, there was just something very magical about uh, Motorhead shows. There's, there's just, I don't know, it's, it's hard to describe, but uh, any memories of that, that live at Brixton Academy and, and that, that 25th anniversary, and now, seeing that we're 20 years later, it's like the 45th anniversary. Yeah, was um, it on night that but Brian from Queen came and played? Yeah, you, you, got, on, you got Brian May on uh, Overkill. Uh, and you've got uh, Paul... Got Ace, uh, Ace from Skunk and Nancy. Did Ace come on night? Hold on, I'm looking at it here right now. You've got, uh, you got Doro Pesh and uh, Whitfield Crane on Born to Raise Hell. You had Fast Eddie Clark on The Chase is Better Than the Cat. You had Paul Inder on Killed by yeah. Death. Todd Campbell on Killed by Death. And you had Fast Eddie Clark, Brian May, and Martin Ace Kent on Overkill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a what a hell of a hell night. <laughs> you're not you're not shitting me. What a lineup that is. Um, yeah, but, Brian Brian couldn't believe the volume when we sound checked. I know. I mean, Queen Queen allowed. If you've seen Queen, yeah, Brian's Brian's pretty loud with all with a room full of boxes, you know, but. Um, he said in he said in just nearly you know blew him away the volume, but he enjoyed it <laughs> well, I mean Queen has to play louder. Have you seen the crowds at Wembley and all those other places you you gotta play super loud to get people to hear you in the back seats yeah, uh, yeah. on yeah. on that uh, folks uh we're the bastards comes out in November uh, Phil, it's always an absolute pleasure. We've done this a bunch of times, and i, I just I, I never get bored of it you're you're just great. You're fantastic. 
Thanks, Mitch. It's it, always a pleasure talking to you as well. Yes, and as we... And, uh, uh, maybe we can come and play for you one of these days, over, over, come over the water, you know, when things get back to normal. It'd be great. Oh, I'd, lo- I'd love to have you back in, in Montreal at some point. Uh, it's, it's been too long, and, and we, need, we need good rock and roll to lift our spirits. But uh, as we say in Montreal, merci beaucoup. Thank you so much. Yeah, I remember a great show we did there. Was it a Spectrum with Sabbath? Yeah. Years ago? Yeah, yeah. that would have been... Uh, that was great. 86, 87, something like that? Uh, I don't know. You did listen. The last show you later did the, later than that. Later than that? Yeah. Okay. Maybe. But you also did uh, the last one I saw with you was with Anthrax at the Olympia Theater. Okay. And uh, we we know it was just it was just you know a couple of months before Lemmy passed, and and I just I respected the hell out of him because to to see him stand on stage knowing what he was going through now, now that we know, I have no idea how he got there and how he he even contemplated playing that show and yet he delivered it and it was yeah, a motorhead yeah, he, show yeah he delivered right to the very end i, I mean that's my god that's what he wanted to do yeah you know? but I, I have no idea how he stood there for two hours and delivered a kick-ass high-octane motorhead show despite everything that was going on i i'm i'm amazed that, and baffled that, Lem is Lem is Lem. End of the story, really. There's nobody, yep. nobody put together quite like that guy. I don't think. No, so I uh, never met anyone anyway. No, so rest in peace, Lemmy. Uh, rest in peace, Eddie yeah, yeah. Uh, Van Halen and uh, Phil. Yeah. Merci beaucoup. Thank you so much. Okay, Mitch. All right. Take care. Have a great day. You too. Cheers. Speak to you soon. Bye bye. Yep. Bye bye now.